Hi friends, Pastor Dave here, and today we are back to our series, walking through the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're calling this series, Sex Suits Spouses and Singles. Today we are jumping right into our passage. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, so if you have a Bible, pull it out, open to 1 Corinthians 6. Um, I'm going to be reading today from the NIV. You can also follow along on the screen if you want. Here we go. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's our first sentence today. It's going to be an exciting one. Um, And I actually have to confess to you that I was nervous about preaching this passage, but God has been using this passage in my life this week. And my prayer is even though there's some hard stuff in here, God will use this passage in your life today. And right off the bat, what we see is Paul does a little play on words. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, Donnie preached. He talked to us about how some people in the church were using the Corinthian uh, legal system to take other people in the church to civil court for their financial gain. And in verse 8, Paul says, You yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. And then in verse 9 today, he says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And what Paul is saying here, I want to be really clear, is that when you habitually and consistently choose to adopt a lifestyle of doing wrong, it reveals that you do not understand what you've been offered and who you are in the gospel. Now, In our world, when we want to emphasize something that we've written, we can do a number of things. We can underline it. We can italicize it. More often than not, we bold it. But in the ancient world, they didn't have computers. They didn't have Microsoft Word. And so how they would emphasize something they were writing is they would repeat it. You'd repeat the phrase you want to emphasize. Notice how I did it right there. And twice in this passage... Right here in verse 9 and in just a minute at the end of verse 10, Paul says, When you choose to live a life of wrongdoing, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's talk for a minute about what Paul means by this. First of all, we have to understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm where God rules, where God reigns, where God calls the shots. The kingdom of God is the realm where things are exactly the way God wants them to be. And so when you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you declare, my life is now in that realm. That realm where God calls the shots, where he is king. This is why the most basic Christian confession is one we've talked about here before. Jesus is Lord. To be a Christian is to declare, Jesus is my king. And even though I live in this world that's in rebellion to the king, I place myself under the king's rule and authority. Now, someday, and this is what the Bible says, Jesus will come back. He will return, and this entire world will be put under his rule and authority. This is why we read in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, all the earth will be brought underneath the rule and reign of God. And as those who have decided to make Jesus Lord, we will get to be part of that kingdom. We will inherit 
the kingdom of God someday. But Paul is offering us a warning here. He's warning us that if Jesus is in fact not Lord of your life, if you reject him calling the shots, if, if, if you've in a sense opted out of him being Lord, then you've opted out of being part of his kingdom. Now, before I go on, I want to make two qualifying remarks about what Paul is not saying. One, Paul is not in this passage condemning temptation. Paul is not saying, hey, if you are attracted to sin or drawn to sin or a certain sin, you must not be a Christian. Jesus himself was tempted. We read about it. To be human and to live in this fallen, broken world is to deal with temptation. So this is Paul speaking out against habitual patterns and behaviors, not feelings or desires or temptation. That's one. Here's two. Paul is also not saying here that if you messed up, if you were greedy the other day, or if you had a sexual temptation in your life, or if you did something that you should not have done in a dating relationship, or on the internet, or on New Year's Eve last year, if you drank too much wine, that now you are out. You are not a Jesus follower. You are not part of the kingdom. No, it's not his message. The Bible is very clear. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's just a fact. Paul is not condemning people who have messed up and who sin. If you have blown it in your life, if you are currently blowing it in one of the areas that we are going to talk about today, the calling, the challenge, the invitation from Jesus here is to repent, to turn away from your sin and to move back to God who will receive you with love and grace and forgiveness because that is who our God is. However, if you decide God's not king, he doesn't get to decide for me, I will do what I want, I'm in charge of my own life, then I humbly offer you these words. Wrongdoers, those who choose to live a life that is outside of God's rule and will, will not inherit the kingdom. Next line, do not be deceived. This is perhaps the most important line of this passage. It's the title of my message. Do not be deceived. Don't get tricked. Don't get sucked in. Do not get led astray. Young people, hear me as I talk about this. This world that we live in will try to deceive you into living a life where you and your sinful desires are calling the shots for how you think and behave and live, not God. So Paul says, be real careful. Don't be fooled. Don't be confused because there are forces in this world that are really, really good at temptation. Deception, the deceiver, doesn't just come to you and say, I'm going to try to deceive you now. I'm going to try to fool you into thinking and believing and living in a way that goes against God and will ultimately destroy your life. Sound good? Want to try it? Want to play? No. That's not what deception does. From the very beginning of time, the serpent comes to Eve in the garden and says, see how good that fruit looks? Don't you really want it? Don't you sincerely desire it? I mean, 
I mean, doesn't it feel right that you should eat it? I mean, God couldn't really not want you to have that, could he? No. Write this down, friends. It's profound. Deception is deceptive. By its very nature, it's sneaky. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a fun list for us. Let's walk through it briefly today. Sexually immoral. The word here is one who practices pornea. We've talked about pornea in this series already. It's an umbrella term for any sort of sexual activity that's outside of the context of marriage as defined by the Bible. One man, one woman in a lifelong covenant relationship. And Paul is saying that sexual activity outside of that is not God's plan for your life. And he's also saying that it's deceptive. It's enticing. Sexual immorality is enticing to us. It will suck us in to the point that before we know it, a regular part of our lives is entertaining thoughts that we shouldn't entertain. Watching shows on Netflix that we shouldn't watch. Fantasizing about people and things you should not fantasize about. Visiting sites on the internet you should not be visiting. Doing things in secret with your boyfriend or girlfriend of that person you met out at the club that you should not be doing. And the world will say, it's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's just part of life. It's normal teenage behavior. It's normal male behavior. It's, liber- it's a liberating way for women to think and act now. But God says, no. If I'm king, if I'm Lord, if I am truly calling the shots in your life, then your sexuality is a gift and sex is a sacred, special thing offered to us to bond us with that person that we've made a lifelong covenant with in this world through marriage. Don't be deceived or tricked or sucked in by sexual immorality. More on that in a few weeks when we get to verses 12 through 20. For today, let's move on. Nor idolaters, he says. That's next on the list. Corinth was filled with idols. Temples to Aphrodite, Apollos, Zeus, Poseidon, all sorts of different religions and spiritualities were abundant and flowing through the city of Corinth, much like the city of Portland. And the temptation for these Corinthian Christians was that they would not only worship the one true triune God, but they would also engage in and dabble in other forms of religion and spirituality, idolatry. They'd do Christianity and a little karma, some tarot cards, horoscopes, palm readers, astrology. They'd adopt a worldview that says, all roads lead to heaven. Whatever works for you is great. And Paul says, don't be deceived. Mixing in some spirituality, some alternative spirituality with your Christianity is not the way of following Jesus and it will lead you away from the Lord. Next, adulterers. People who are married 
and have sexual experiences with someone they are not married to. Now, this one might be the most simple, the most clear to us. Most of us listening to this message would agree that adultery is not right, and yet, in our world, it is becoming more and more accepted. Because here's what the deceiver does. We know adultery is wrong, and yet he whispers things in our minds and in our hearts like this. My husband, my wife, they don't understand me. They've never really gotten me. They work too much. I've never been a priority. They don't do for me what they should do for me sexually or emotionally or relationally or spiritually. Besides, we got married way too young. In fact, we probably never should have gotten married. I married the wrong person. I deserve to be happy. And then the deceiver takes all those notions and he uses our culture to compound those lies by telling us having an affair is no big deal. It happens all the time. Lots of people do it. No one has to know. It's just sex. No one will get hurt. Friends, Do not be deceived. Even if you are in a season where you feel rejected by and disconnected from your spouse, even if you meet someone at work or in the neighborhood or online that you feel sincerely drawn to, connected to, attracted to, in spite of your very real and possibly even sincere feelings in that moment, the question really is this. Do your desires rule your life or is Jesus Lord? Paul says, stop. Really think this through before you put your life on a path that's going to hurt a lot of people and move you away from God. And if your life is on that path right now, if you're moving in that direction, if you're flirting with danger, if you've already entered in, End it, cut it off, do whatever you need to do to get off that road because it will end in destruction and pain. Write this down. I heard it this week. Sin is fun and it kills you when it's done. There's momentary pleasure, maybe even a season of pleasure when we sin, when we follow our fallen broken desires, but they always lead to pain and destruction and regret. Next one, nor men who have sex with men. Now, in ancient Greece, men having sex with other men was not unusual. It was actually kind of a normal part of society and culture. Sometimes we get the idea that the Bible was written to people living in Walnut Grove in the late 1800s in America, but that, friends, is not the case. This was a culture where where same-sex relations were happening often and in lots of different ways. However, there are some differences. In that culture, just because you were having sex with another man, that did not mean you were a homosexual. They did not think in those terms. In our world, we sort of categorize people, you know, either homo or you're heterosexual. But in the ancient world, they thought in terms of active or passive partners. The person who would play the the role of the woman in sex and a sexual experience was the passive partner. The person who would play the role of a man was the active partner. And the moral code in Corinth said this, if you were the person with the higher social standing, you should play the role of the active partner, not the passive partner. It was actually like bad 
you know, mojo, flip those rolls around. But in this passage, what Paul does is he uses two words. One describes the passive partner. The other describes the active partner. And what he's saying is this, no matter what role you're playing, this kind of sexual activity is not in line with God's plan for your life. So don't be deceived, he says. Because like ancient Greece, we live in a world that will tell you this, whatever you desire, you should be able to have, especially sexually. This just goes across the board for every single American, no matter how you're, how, how you're wired up. Whatever you desire, you should be able to have it sexually, as long as there's consenting adults, right? If you desire it, it's good. If you desire it, it's natural. But when you are a follower of Jesus, when you say, Jesus is now Lord, he calls the shots in my life, he gets to rule every area of your life. Jackie Hill Perry talks about this in her, her book that I'd recommend, Gay Girl, Good God. And she says, we all have desires. We have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus because, and I quote, sin is attractive to sinners. All of us have desires that we have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus because sin is attractive to sinners. In other words, because of the fall, not because of how God made you or made me, but because of sin in the world and sin in us, things are not always the way God wants them to be. Were you born this way? Were you born that way? Were you born another way? Perhaps. Perhaps, but not because God created you that way. Because we are all born not just into a fallen, broken, sinful world, but also as fallen, broken, sinful people. So many examples of this as we look around. And friends, I'll just speak for myself for a minute. I'll say there are often things that I desire that are not what God desires for me. They feel natural sometimes. They feel normal. But my desires are not always in alignment with God's desires because sin is attractive to sinners. And friends, I, 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 I'm not trying to be simplistic or trite as I make this point. I understand these are deeply personal, complicated issues. And if you are a person who wrestles with same-sex attraction or sexual temptation of any kind, you need to hear me say this. God loves you. He loves you. He adores you. And you are not dealing with some special category of sin that's different than the rest of us. Furthermore, it is my heart and deep desire, I believe God's desire and Jesus' heart as well, that this church, our church, be a community where you can wrestle and struggle and ask questions about the scriptures and seek God and know truth and find forgiveness and grace even when you blow it. Even when you blow it sexually. See, I, I don't just need this church to be that for you. I need this church to be that for me because there's, there's brokenness, and I would argue even sexual brokenness in every single one of us. Every person listening to this message experiences sexual brokenness in some way. So if you're here today and you're listening and same-sex attraction is part of your life, please don't hear me picking on you. 
I am not picking on you. I love you. And we will wrestle together with what the scriptures say. Okay, moving on. Next one. Thieves. People who take what is not theirs. Swindlers, people who use dishonesty for personal gain, nor the greedy, people who always want more, people who constantly pursue more for themselves, people who live their lives believing that if only they had more, they would be fulfilled. That's what Paul is after here. Friends, we must see that living for more, which is paramount to the American dream, is on the same list with adultery and idolatry and men having sex with men. The, the, the idea is that more money, more stuff, more vacations, nicer houses, nicer cars, upgraded kitchens, remodeled bathrooms, and the list goes on, is a deceptive lifestyle that leads us away from God's will and out of the kingdom. This one is so important for us, especially those of us who go to Cedar Mill Bible Church, a largely upper middle class church. So many of us have a lot. And Preston Sprinkle makes the point that we are so tempted to skip over this sin and focus on other sins in the list. He writes a book that I'd highly recommend called People to be Loved. It's a wonderful book about biblical sexuality. And yet at one point, he talks about this temptation we face to focus on that sin above all other sins, which he says is clearly wrong and unbiblical. He says it this way. He's talking about homosexuality. And then he asks this question. So what does the Bible really say? I'll read. It says that it's a sin. It's damnable, evil, and could exclude a person from God's kingdom. Jesus says that those who practice it are liable to face judgment rather than salvation when he returns, Matthew 25. And those who think they can continue to practice it and still think they are genuine followers of Christ are deceiving both themselves and others. Still, our culture has accepted it as a virtue instead of a vice. Even our Christian culture is letting it slip into our churches unnoticed. We sometimes applaud it and place people in leadership who are too weak to preach against it. Many churches, if they are not actively endorsing it, try to remain neutral, but neutrality is nothing more than endorsement covered in sheep's clothing. Then he says this, listen, I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about the misuse of wealth, the sin that's condemned in more than 2,000 passages in God's inspired word. He says, when overfed and overpaid straight Christians condemn gay people while they neglect the poor, stockpile wealth, and indulge in luxurious living, they stand on the wrong side of Jesus' debates with the Pharisees. Friends, Don't be deceived. This culture is trying to constantly tell you that if you have more, better, nicer, newer, your life will be full, but the desire for more will never satisfy your soul and it will separate you from walking in the kingdom of God. Enough on that. Next on the list, drunkards. The temptation that a substance can heal the wounds, numb the pain, and bring pleasure and joy to our lives. Friends, again, this deception 
is, is insidious because sin always promises big and then under delivers in our lives. Sin says like, I will do this for you. And then it never does it for you and never ever fulfills. Sin, I, I've heard it said, offers a little pleasure and a lifetime of pain. Where obedience, obedience requires a little discipline, a little pain and a lifetime of pleasure. Here's Paul, very clear, very straightforward. Don't turn to substances to escape the problems of this world. Look to God because only he brings lasting hope and healing and joy to your life. Finally, and last on the list, slanderers. Slanderers, people who are tricked into the habit of tearing others down to make themselves feel better. Again, something we just sort of let slide in the church far too often. And Paul says, no, no, it's not just a comment. It's degrading another person made in the image of God. So be careful with your words because they have impact and not just on that person, but on you. Your words have an impact on you. It might feel really good to make that comment or say that thing, but do not be deceived. It puts your life on a path moving straight away from the Lord. Not good. And that, verse 11, and that is what some of you were. He lists all these things, these things that lead us away from God. He says, and that is what some of you were. You used to just, Follow your desires and do whatever you wanted. You used to simply be defined by the values of this world and this society and this culture. But that's not who you are anymore, Paul says. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, in this final verse of our section today, Paul drills down into the the central question of identity. This is so huge. And Paul does this because he understands this. Your identity will drive your reality. Your identity will drive your reality. Who you know and believe yourself to be will determine how you think and feel and act and live in this world. You see, one of the main tactics of the deceiver is that he will try to convince you that you are someone that you're not. He knows if he can do this, he can steer your life away from the Lord really quickly. Again, Jackie Hill Perry has an entire chapter about this in her book, and it's brilliant. And it's not just for people who are wrestling with same-sex attraction. It's for all of us. She says this. She says, identity is a big deal. The way we move about the world can always be traced back to the question, who am I? Someone must know that how they identify themselves will shape how they navigate life, end quote. You see, the Corinthians were part of of a successful community. They're part of a prosperous city, a country that had a ton of national pride. Does that sound like a place you know? And with all that pride came this temptation. We are Corinthians. That's who we are, right? Um, We are people of Corinth. That's what defines us. That's how we identify. And as such, we 
sue others as such. We live sexually as such. We talk about other people as such. We pursue wealth as such. You see, their identity is driving their behaviors. But the problem was that the Corinthian way of living and the Christian way of living were very, very different. And friends, I I hate to break it to you, but this is just true. The American way of living and the Christian way of living are also very, very different. And so Paul here reminds them, and he's reminding us, the core identity that rules and reigns over, over, over every other identity you have in this world is that you are washed. Remember who you are above everything else that you were washed, that the ugly, messy, dirty sin has been washed out of your life by the blood of Jesus. You are sanctified. That now you're a person who has entered the process of being formed and shaped into the person God wants you to be, to look more and more like Jesus himself. That is who you are. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. You've been declared innocent, pardoned, not guilty by the holy and righteous king of the universe. You're not a Corinthian. You're not an American. You're not a Republican. You're not a Democrat. You're not conservative. You're not liberal. You're not progressive. Whatever other label, primarily above all those things, you are a follower of Jesus, washed, sanctified, justified. And then you'll notice he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, like the number one identifier of who you are is that you bear the name of Jesus. Like if you're wearing the jersey, it's Jesus' name on the back. And the idea here is is if that's true of you, if you really are a follower of Christ, if Jesus really is Lord, then you want to live every part of your life in a way that Jesus would sign his name to. Every part. And maybe you think, well, that's a tall order. That's going to be tough. That's a lot to live up to. I don't think that by my own strength, I can do that. And friends, you're right. That is absolutely true. You cannot do that by your own strength. And it's why Paul ends his statement with these words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, friends, the message today is not... Get out there and fight real hard against your sinful desires. Like, battle them. Put everything you have into them. The message today is not, if you're good enough and if you resist well enough, Jesus will accept you. No. The message of the gospel is that Jesus has accepted you. If you have put your faith in him as Lord, he's already signed his name to your life and he's empowered you with his spirit to guide and lead you through the most powerful and deceptive forces of this world you can't defeat those forces on your own but you can defeat them with him so remember who you are and remember whose you are and remember the power that you have been given in the holy spirit romans chapter 8 verse 11 says it this way the spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead lives in you the same power that defeated the forces of evil and death is alive and living in your body friends let me tell you there's no desire there's no 
temptation. There is no deception in this world more powerful than him. So I'll read this verse again as we close and as we go to remember who you are. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So let's go today, church, out into this world, empowered by the Spirit to resist the temptations that come from within us and outside of us as we walk in this world together. God bless you, friends, and we'll see you next week.